Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Covering the sports betting landscape from coast to coast, this is Betting Across America on VSIN, the sports betting network. We begin hour number three of Betting Across America right here on VEASAN, presented by BetMGM. Dave Ross and Walshaw here at Circus Sportsbook. We mentioned and we want to update the Cardinals' big bet, 360K from Ben Fox, who tweeted that out. Top seven, Redbirds, 6-2 to over the Pirates. I tweeted out after opening day, the Pirates, as a matter of fact, have already been mathematically eliminated from the postseason. <laughs> this, is, this is a triple-A team. There, there are... I don't know if this is good or bad, certainly from the betting standpoint, because you don't want to lay those big numbers all the time against what we think are going to be just potentially really bad teams. I would but agree. the Buckos look like a really bad team. I think Oakland, Washington, Pittsburgh are going to be epically bad this year. How do you handicap then those games, Amal? Do you wait to say if you give me the quote-unquote ace from those bad teams? And we just lost power, power here, yeah. here at Circus Sports Books, so the lights are out right now. And this is hopefully not an Ocean's Eleven scenario, so we're going to remain calm. And they're back up. And now here come the lights are coming back up. That was wild. It was. And again, at a sports book or at a casino in general, I'm sure they want to make sure that we're going to restore power here and make sure everything's all right. But I believe there will be light coming back on us. But for now, we will motor on as it's all we can do. Looking across the sports book, nobody's panicking. So I think we're, we're okay. I, you know, I don't know how these things work. Oh, and then there was light, and we're back in business here. But, uh, yeah, you know, just from the movies, you see when the lights go out, and you think, oh, no, is George Clooney trying to rob the place? What's going on? It's a movie, by the way, people. Um, I, I'll tell you what. You mentioned some of these teams in baseball that are going to be historically bad. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, uh, you, you know it's unfortunate because Pittsburgh's always been a great sports town. We see the support they give the Steelers and the Penguins. Um, they just... They are not putting a good product out there at PNC every night, and they've got to improve that. I think Oakland's tough. It was funny. I don't know if you saw the war of words between Mayor Libby Schaff of uh, Oakland and uh, our oh. Mayor Goodman in terms of— uh, No. She criticized. She said that something dirty desert or something to that effect, I forgot, in reference to the A's. And I, you know, look, I get everybody here in Vegas wants the A's, but if you're the city of Oakland, my question is why do you want the A's? I've been to uh, their park to watch the Raiders covered a Raiders and uh, the, the formerly team known as uh, the, the, now the Commanders from D.C. And I remember thinking, this is the worst ballpark I've ever been to. And we were talking about good ballparks and bad ballparks across the country in different sports. And I thought, you're going to play baseball and or football in this dump? I'm sorry. It's outdated. And I get it. It's, it's up to the, the city if they want to keep it. But the A's are coming to Vegas, aren't they? That's speculation. Um It'll be interesting. It's beautiful here in the desert. I mean, when we have lights. Well, the first thing is you're going to have to build a dome. Mm-hmm. And then how is the team going to fare from an attendance standpoint if they're not winning? Because you see with VGK here locally, you see a bit of a drop-off. Oh, let's put it this way. If you're the A's, it can't be any worse than it is in Oakland. No, it really can't. Uh, so we'll, we'll figure out what the A's do. But again, for those handicapping purposes, when you see those 
would you ever take a stab at some of those teams or go, well, you know, why did I bet this bad team at a great price because they're quote unquote aces out there? Yeah, I think there's certain spots you can look at them. Remember, you got 162 games. They're still going to win 60 to 65 games. Right. So there's an opportunity in three in every eight games where they're going to win a baseball game. But Dave, I think some of these teams are so bad at this point in time. Mm. It almost feels like, I don't know if they're going to challenge the Tigers from several years ago, but it feels like, wow, it's tough to back them in spots. I will say this, if you're betting the other side, you've got to look at run lines. I think you have to lay the run and a half so you're not paying such a premium on these matchups. And the person who bet the Cardinals today, they, they did exactly that, right? Cardinals up 6-2 to two right now. Mm-hmm. They don't want to lay probably 275 or whatever it was on St. Louis. No. And they got a much better price with the run line. And in-game right now, minus uh, 7,500. So, again, that's how much has gone up now with the 6-2 to two lead. They should bet uh, ten grand the other way on the Pirates right now. I'm being serious. Th- there you go. You, the comeback there is uh, plus 2,000 on the comeback. So, that would be very interesting, but you could safeguard and make sure, obviously, you can get a win. Uh, some other early scores here. Blue Jays look like they're just going to score a ton of runs. It's already 4-3 yeah. to three now in the sixth against the Rangers. That comeback. Talk about bad beats. If you had the Rangers plus a run and a half, well, you're and feeling- you're up 7 nothing. Amal, is that one that on opening day, if you had the Rangers plus a run and a half, and by the way, they lost 9-7, was that the final? 10-8. 10-8. So they don't cover that one and a half. Does that just say, I, I can't bet baseball? Like, if, if that's your opening day wager and you had Texas plus a run and a half, how do you, how do you get up back on that horse? Well, first of all, when they're down, you know, 7 nothing, you got to figure at some point in time Toronto probably makes a little bit of a push. But if you had taken uh, Texas on the money line, mm-hmm. you would have probably gotten the Blue Jays a plus 2,500. You got to take a small bet on them. You've got to hedge your position. There's no reason to put yourself at risk. Dave, I'll give you a perfect example. 2015, I had. Um, the Tigers against Minnesota it was eight nothing. Oh wow! And oh, I, that the, the John Lester game? No, was it? No, it wasn't. Oh. John, uh, and um, they're up eight nothing in the second inning, and by the sixth inning, the game was tied at eight apiece. All I had to do is put a few bucks on Minnesota plus twenty five hundred. I have no risk. Now I was fortunate enough. Tigers ended up winning the game, but why put yourself in that position? Minimize your risk. That's the goal. And you put yourself in a position where you're going to win a lot and still only lose. I mean, you're, not, you're just going to lose into the profit. Well, and, and that's and I'm thinking of the Lester when he was starting for the A's in that wild card game. And I believe Oakland had like a seven nothing lead yeah. and, and choked that one away somehow. And I think this is great exercise. And I think you do a great job of this. Wes Reynolds does another, another great job when I do shows with Wes, where you're just, you're trying to lock in profit. Absolutely. That's the key, right? So when you've already got the right side, you're sitting on a good ticket. And then you get this huge swing potentially, and you see that number. That's when you're going to identify, all right, so I might not get it, but I'm safeguarding, and I'm locking in a profit no matter what. Correct. And to your point, I think a lot of people will push back and say, well, you're cutting away from profit. Yes, theoretically, technically, 100% true. But there are too many games in sports where you see too many teams come back. I'll give you a quick example from college mm-hmm. basketball a couple years ago. I had a game where a team was up by two I'm sorry, they were up by four. I was laying two, Dave, in the second half with 16 minutes to go. I knew that game wasn't losing. I had another game where I was getting a point and a half on the road. They were up by 15, and there was about 16 minutes to go in the second half. And I said to myself, I said, this game is going to be tough. Ooh. They ended up losing. And, and so what I'm saying is that there's so many scenarios where you think a game's going to be, perfect example, we saw it Monday night. 
How many Carolina fans were probably planning in Chapel Hill on Franklin Street? Hey, where are we going? Which bar are we going to hit on Franklin afterwards, right? Up 15 at the break. Up 15. You know, hey, I told you Carolina was going to win. Everybody's high-fiving. <laughs> Next thing you know, you're holding on for dear life. If Wilson doesn't step out of bounds, Carolina doesn't even cover the game. Right. Think about this. You could have taken Kansas either a second-half play and middled the game very well or come back with uh you know, mm. Kansas on the money line, and you get off your position if you had North Carolina money line. Yeah, even speaking of that, uh, the, the Elite Eight round, when I was doing the show with Wes, if you remember that game, Kansas was down against Miami. Oh, yeah, six of the break. Six of the break. Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, I'm going to take Kansas here in the second half. And it was a way to kind of lock in. And again, they ended up covering all the numbers. Yeah. But that's exactly what we're trying to do here, Vison, is identify those spots where if you feel like, all right, I got, I got Miami plus the points, we're up six at the break. That's maybe the time you want to protect yourself a little bit, take Kansas on that second half, and then you've locked in a profit. So you're bummed that Miami didn't cash your initial ticket, but at least you safeguarded yourself with that second half play. Dave, the one of my favorite lines, and this doesn't apply to just betting, you never go broke taking a profit. There you go. It's a great line. Does Vison have a T-shirt for that? Because they should if they <laughs> They don't. should, yeah. Uh, very quickly, a Major League Baseball front here. Have there been anything early on and again, we, we know like with baseball, the trends are going to change. I saw a lot of, of run lines here, uh, excuse me, uh, totals in the first five have been going under. It's colder around the country here. Yeah. Does that play into your handicapping here? Excellent point. It does. I generally like unders in these situations. Now, you've had some games that have kind of spiraled out of, out of control. We saw it yesterday in the San Francisco game right. against the Marlins late in that game. But take a look at some of these early scores. Kansas City and the Guardians on Thursday. Cold game, 3-1 to one there. Mets, Nationals, 5-1. to one. Uh, uh, Padres, Diamondbacks, those are an aberration because the Diamondbacks can't hit. But you look at some of these games... And you definitely are concerned early on. Seattle, Minnesota, two to one yesterday. Uh, you know, so something to pay attention to mm-hmm. in terms of the climate early part of the year. Once we get towards the summer months, the ball tends to carry in warmer weather. Something to pay attention to. Uh, it's going to be a cold game in D.C. for the metro, the undefeated Metropolitans, as uh, Chris Bassett will make his Metropolitan debut after Max Scherzer did it yesterday. They got to lay a, 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 on the run line. It's plus 110 if you want to lay the run and a half of the Metropolitans. The over-under there is nine and a half. Uh, Mets are minus 140. It feels too good. And again, I'm a, I'm a glass half full Mets fan here in the first week. Like, boy, it feels like a good price at only minus $1.40. You know, I was making fun of you earlier for saying, well, they, you know, they've won two games or they lost two games of the out of it. But I will say this. Getting off to a fast start really helps teams I don't know if you're a Mets fan going back to your youth. If you oh, remember, yeah. if you remember the '86 season, do I remember the '86 season? Okay, well, I apologize. <laughs> like it was yesterday, Amal. That's all we have to go back on. I remember Davey Johnson talking about when they swept the Cardinals in four games in '86, and that was in May. Yes, he said that buried the Cardinals. Whitey Herzog came out after that series in St. Louis and said it's over. Whitey Herzog said. It's over. They're winning the East. And that back then, St. Louis was still in the East. Two, year, two years prior to that, the Tigers start 84-35-5. and five. Now, they should have ended up winning far more games than they did. Mm-hmm. But they got ahead so far that nobody was able to catch them. And I think getting off to a fast start in some of these divisions is crucial. And if the Mets can just get the offense going, I'm telling you right now, it, DeGrom's about six to eight weeks away from potentially getting back. It just feels like the health will start to alleviate a little sooner. I'll be playing the Mets minus $1.40 tonight against the uh, Nationals. So, again, to that point, though, all kidding aside, you're right. Teams can get hot, 
and they ride that emotion, it gets streaky. Let's go streaking. And right now, let's see if the Metropolitans can do that and get off on a good foot here as they wait for Jacob DeGron to come back. When we come back, let's dip our toe back into the NFL. Some news and notes on how might that affect the futures market. Come on back. It is Betting Across America right here in Beeson, the Sports Betting Network. It is time to download Nevada's premier sports betting app, BetMGM Sports. BetMGM is all of your favorite wagering options, along with in-game betting, boosted odds specials, and much, much more. Download the BetMGM app today or stop by any MGM casino on the strip with your state-issued ID to open up an account and start placing sports bets from anywhere in Nevada. Whatever your sport, whatever your betting style, you're going to love BetMGM. State-of-the-art technology and fan-friendly specials every day of the week. Visit BetMGM for terms and conditions. Must be 21 or older and physically located in Nevada. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call one 800 522-4700. Alongside Amal Shaw, I am Dave Ross. This is Betting Across America right here on VEASAN. We look up. Scotty Scheffler still in command at Augusta as of right now. The score on the board. He is through 10 holes, still at 11 under par. That is 3 under for his round today. Began the day at 8 under par. The nearest competitor. I just want to point this out. That we had Mike Piranio on the first hour. And Mike casually said... I took Charles Schwartz at 350 to 1. Charles just made an eagle. He is now at six under par, the former Masters champion, tying Scotty Scheffler for the day at three under. He's only five back. Cameron Smith, the Aussie, great hair. Five under par as well. He's three under for the day, so he's Matt Scheffler. And Shane Lowry is kind of stuck in neutral, one under for the day. But the point is, is even with these great rounds of all, they have not gained any ground on the leader. He's keeping everybody at Heisman's length with that five-shot lead. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, Scheffler threw 10 holes thus far. You mentioned Smith. He's through 12. Uh, Schwartzel threw 10 as well. So, I don't know, Dave. I, I think if you really are going to have an opportunity to be able to come through in this one, uh, I, if you're somebody else besides Scotty Scheffler, it's really going to come down to Schwartzel and Smith. And I mm-hmm. think they've got to be within four shots. I know Rex said that he thought seven, potentially even up to eight, I think he said. I felt like that might be too many. To me, the magic number is four. If you can be within four shots, you've got an opportunity. The two guys that I think maybe a lot of, uh, certainly American golf fans are disappointed in for the day are JT, not Justin Timberlake, Justin Thomas, who started off the day one under, got it all the way to three under quickly. He's all the way back to even par, so he's given back those three shots to the field, so he's 11 off the pace. And Dustin Johnson, a guy I, I dabbled in a little bit, thinking he might, I thought maybe sometimes he's, I just want to say mentally uh, ambivalent sometimes. He yep. just kind of shows up, but he's got all that talent. He is two over for the day, back to even par as well for the tournament, so he's also 11 off the lead. I want to get to the NFL here, and uh, our producer, Elliot, knows that I love good gossip. Certainly on social media, right? Debo Samuel. If there's not a, a more unicorn-type player in the NFL right now, Debo might be that guy. Just jack-of-all-trades, Swiss Army knife. Cordell Patterson comes to mind of ways that you can use a guy in a football field. I'm offended by that statement. Please continue, though. Debo has deleted all references of the Niners from his social media. Now, I know we live in a different world in 2022, all. What does that mean? How? 
if you ever watch a few good minutes. How? What does that mean? Debo has just taken everything. Niners, you're out of my social media life. What's going on? I don't know, but I want to give you a few good men reference. Grave danger. Is there any other kind? <laughs> it's one of the best lines of all time. So, to me, I'm not worried about this. I think John Lynch being there in that organization, you talk about stability, level-headed. I love Lynch. I think they'll get Debo back on board here. I'm not really worried about that. I'm not a big social media person. So for me, this is not a concern. The reason why I was offended by your statement with Patterson, Patterson's a nice player. Debo Samuel is probably the best all-around player and arguably one of the five best players in the NFL. Once they come out with that 100 list next year, if this guy's not in the top 10, just stop doing the list. I agree. He is unbelievable. I, I, I kid, but I, like that that style of player. But Debo, to the umph degree, uh, uh, absolute difference maker. And I kept saying earlier this year, remember when he got hurt a little bit? They kind of went sideways. When Debo came back, that's and he played hurt, by the way, in the postseason. I, and, and I get it if I'm Debo Samuel, right? I'm going to swipe. I'm gonna, if you've ever been in a bad relationship, who hasn't? Sometimes you, you, you wipe the X's out. Not that I would ever have done that. But you wipe out the X's and you go, you know what? I just don't want to be reminded. I did all this for you. And what have you done for me? You can't extend my rookie contract. You can't give me the big money, John Lynch, that I want. Kyle Shanahan, you know damn well how important I am to the success of this team. And you're not going to do anything for me? Fine. You're out of my social media life. I, I take them out of the phone. I don't even want to come across <laughs> the name on there, right? Like, I mean, to me, with Debo Samuel, he's under contract for next year. That but rookie deal. Rookie, rookie deal. He's going to make about $4 million or just shy of that. Um, you know, I get from his point of view, look, he's too talented. The challenge for the 49ers, you've got these two studs, one on offense, one on defense, that you've got to pay. Samuel and then Bosa on the other side. And you've got to pay both of these guys if you're going to be successful long-term. Trey Lance is a big question mark. We'll see what happens there. Boy, I kind of look at this Trey Lance scenario. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go with an NBA analogy here, Dave. When the Detroit Pistons had an opportunity and they chose Darko Milicic. Oh, I remember. You could have taken Carmelo. Darko was the guy. Got to take Darko. They they said they they had a position. They they needed Darko. They didn't know about positionless basketball back then, right? What an all-time gaffe for guys going to the Hall of Fame and Carmelo Anthony. But your, your point's well taken here. And you look at the Niners' futures, 14-1 to 1 to win the Super Bowl, plus 650 to win the NFC, 2-1 to 1 to win the West, okay? I don't know what to make because we don't know what they're going to do with Jimmy G. I don't know that they can find a dance partner because he can't throw until June. Wow. So now is somebody going to trade for a guy that, that we assume that what is Jimmy G when he's fully healthy? How do you regard Jimmy G before the injury? But if they turn this thing over, and Debo's wiping the social media clean of the team. And they turn it over to Trey Lance. Are you ready to put your money down on 14-1 to win the Super Bowl, 6-50 to win the NFC, 2-1 to win the division with a kid who hasn't shown you anything as of yet? Not saying he can't be, but he did not look like he was ready rookie year. Michael Lombardi said coming into last year, he was a year away from being a year away. <laughs> so in essence, that puts him into his third season. And I just don't think that he's ready to play because if you're Kyle Shanahan in the 49ers, you would have used him in a lot more sets. I think he could have such an impact in short yarded situation because of his strength, his mobility. And the fact that they didn't use him tells me all I need to know about Trey Lance coming into year two so far. He could improve drastically between the offseason and, the, and uh, training camp. But I don't see it yet with the guy. Here's the thing. And again, this affects your betting market, that's for sure, if Trey Lance is going to be the guy. And I used to do a show in Chicago with the former coach of the Bears, 
John Fox. And if you remember, John Fox was in Chicago year one of Mitchell Trubisky. And he told me, point blank, that's not, nothing against Mitchell. But that was not who he wanted to draft. He didn't have that, that power. Ryan Pace was the GM then and made that catastrophic decision at the time, trading up to get him. And then the media and the fan base wants to see the kid. They want to see Trey Lance. I get that. But the coaches know who's ready to play and who's not. I think Kyle Shanahan knows that Trey wasn't ready. And I think they still know that Jimmy G would be the best option. But I wonder, Amal, you've covered, you know how this works. If you bring back Jimmy G, because you can't get the asking price that you want for him. Correct. With the bad wing. Yeah. And coming off the, so- the surgery. The locker room will be divided. There will be the veterans that go, man, I want to play with the guy that gives us the best chance. And that's Jimmy G. And there might be some younger guys that go, man, the upside, though, with Trey is unknown. How does Kyle and John Lynch, you made this quandary when you traded up to get him. When you give up the draft capital to get that quarterback, this isn't a wide receiver, this isn't a running back, this isn't a defensive end. It's quarterback. Yeah, I think you bring up an excellent point, and I think we'll get a sense early on. Because if you think he can play Trey Lance and he's not playing him, then it could be a little bit of division. However, if you're playing him and most of the team doesn't think he's the guy, that's going to be a real problem for them moving forward. When you look at the win total for the Niners, Mm -hmm. nine and a half, this piques my interest from a couple of angles. Because, again, we don't know who the quarterback's going to be week one. We all assumed it was going to be Lance. But now because of the situation with Jimmy G, he might actually come back. I want to play the over for one reason. Look at the rest of the division. Well, that was my argument. At worst, they're four and two in this division. I'm thinking more five and one because they have the Rams number. They're going to beat Seattle twice, and then you got to split with the uh, Cardinals. So if they can go four and two, five and one, they got to get five wins among the other eleven games. I kind of and I, and I do trust John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, the brain trust to work out those issues we just talked about potentially that they could have in those locker rooms. I don't know if I like them to win the division. Because I do think the Rams now, they, 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 I actually think the Rams might have gotten better. I didn't think the Rams were dangerous. I, of course, they were dangerous. I didn't think they were scary. They might be scarier this year coming in as the champs than they were to become the champs. I picked the Rams last year to win the NFC and came to fruition, but I thought it was a bit of a fluke. I didn't think they were that good of a team down the stretch. Mm. I thought it worked out well for them, and I tend to agree with you. I think the Rams got a little bit better. I love the acquisition of Bobby Wagner. Yes, I think that's going to have a huge impact. I don't understand why nobody wanted to sign him. Maybe, look, we're not scouting the team, so we don't have an understanding of maybe he had a bit of a drop-off and they see down the play-by-play scenario, so... From that standpoint, it's a bit of a challenge. But I think San Francisco's got to answer the bell in terms of what are they going to do with Jimmy G. All right, that's going to be a fascinating situation there to see how San Francisco handles what they have to do with the quarterback position and beyond. When we come back, Reed Kuhn. I mean, if you listen and watch First Strike, and shame on you if you're not. He's a star on that program. He's great numbers, great models. We're going to break down UFC 273. Come on back. It is the Sports Betting Network. This is Betting Across America on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. The NFL Draft is right here in Las Vegas. We've got extensive coverage, including mock drafts from our own Matt Humans. How about Michael Lombardi, our former, of course, NFL GM? He's going to give his draft analysis. We've got our hosts like Mike Pritchard, who was a first-round pick, Sean King, a Super Bowl champion quarterback. We're going to give you insight that you can literally bet on. And then the legend himself. 
sports broadcaster extraordinaire and voice of the Las Vegas Raiders, Brent Musburger. He's going to give you his draft best bets in our NFL Draft Betting Guide. Sign up today to get full access to VEASAN through the NFL Draft for only $19 at VEASAN.com slash spring. Back alongside Amal Shaw, I am Dave Ross. This is Betting Across America. We look up. Scotty Scheffler still has a five-shot lead, but two have joined the party at 600. That would be Cam Smith and Charles Schwartzel right now at 600 par. Then we got Shane Lowry at four under, and I think that's about the end of the field that might be able to catch him, so we'll keep a watchful eye there. Brady Cannon, of course, will have you covered at the top of the hour as well. But Amal, I know you know how excited I am for UFC 273 tonight, and I am biased, but you should listen and watch First Strike right here on VEASAN, and we have Reed Kuhn on each and every week. He does an amazing job of running his numbers, and they are very, very profitable. So we always encourage you to listen and watch. You can follow him on Twitter, as I do, at Fightnomics. He is a book that he has authored of the same name. And there he is, Reed Goon, joining us here on this Saturday. Let's look ahead to UFC 273, Reed, because, again, for those that are not familiar with your models, basically you take the data of the previous fights and then kind of compartmentalize them, if you will, to, to run those models and see if we're finding advantages in those numbers. When you have two guys like the Korean Zombie and Alexander Volkanovsky here as the main event, you've got plenty of data. The price tag keeps going up. It's up to $8 today on Volk. Are those numbers now starting to show that maybe it's overvalued, or do you think it's still aptly priced? Yeah, this is a situation where the price has moved beyond a profitable return on Volkanovsky. I loved it where, where he opened. It was much more reasonable as a favorite. When you line the two of them up, uh, they're both very solid strikers, uh, and they're both competent grapplers. But Volkanovsky is just better slightly across the board. And then you factor in that he earned those statistics against incredibly elite talent, especially over his last few fights. And we do tend to weight more recent fights as more important. So you line these two things up and you say, yes, he should be the favorite. He should win. He has a high probability of victory. But we have finally entered the territory of you know, if you can get the Korean zombie at plus 550, I think he was flirting with yesterday. He may have come down a little bit today. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's about the area where I would finally put a small sprinkle on Chan Zung Jung. And this is probably a situation where a lot of people are using Volkanovsky in parlays. Uh, so that is kind of dangerous, you know, yes. even with a win probability of 80 uh, percent, there's still that one in five. And there's still freak things that happen in MMA injuries on the fly. You never know. So, uh, yeah, this is, I'm backing off the value here. Yeah, I'm right there with you again. I, I think a lot of people blindly put those in, and I, there could be a parlay buster coming in the three big favorites here, the two uh, title bouts, and, of course, we'll get to Chimaev in just a second. But your models have also now taken in uh, rounds and going uh, with the over-unders here. And when you look at Volk and you look at the Korean Zombie here, you can still get plus price on the under four-and-a-half rounds. Are the models showing that this is more than likely going to go the distance or do you think there might be a stoppage inside of four and a half? I don't see a ton of value in this particular price. I was hoping the prices would be, would be a little bit different. <laughs> the lean is on the over for us. Uh, I'm going to probably sprinkle the fight goes to decision. And that is kind of essentially saying the Korean zombie is going to do well. He's going to survive five rounds. He's not going to win. Uh, Volkanovsky is probably going to get the better of those combinations, be a little bit more confident, dictate the pace. Um, but I do think that Chan Sung Jung should be able to survive five rounds. Yeah, kind of right there with you as well. Again, we're trying to find that value in those numbers. So Reed's models don't see a whole lot of value 
in those numbers there at four and a half. Let's go to the co-main event here, and let's go down uh, a weight class here, down to 135. When you look at Aljo, who is the champion now, against Peter Jan in the rematch. Again, we all remember what happened the first time around where it looked like Jan had turned the tide, was starting to take command of that fight until an illegal strike got him disqualified from it. Aljo got the belt because of it. I am stunned when I look at the pricing of this rematch here. Is that just recency bias here that people go, oh, Jan was on the way to the victory until that illegal strike. Do you think this one might uh, be a little bit mispriced in favor of right now, the underdog, which would be Aljamain Sterling as the champion? Yeah, a lot of people will put a lot of stock in what happened in the first meeting. This happened with, you know, Figueredo and Moreno. They fought multiple times in succession. Um, I agree with you. I think this is too much of an overreaction to that last fight. Aljamain Sterling definitely won the second round on all three judges' scorecards, and he arguably won the first. So, yeah, the tide was turning in the third and the fourth to Jan, but that you know Sterling was holding his own. This was a closer fight than I think people remember it, and certainly that happened to me, too, when I rewatched the first fight. So I actually think there's value on Sterling at this price. I see that as this is closer to a coin flip than the odds are for sure. So when you're getting plus 300 or more on Sterling for an upset, yeah, I'll definitely take that. No question about it. And again, when you look at the total here, four and a half as well for this co-main event with another title bout here, are the models showing any any value in either side there? Because again, it felt like maybe, you know, Aljo was starting to run out of gas. Maybe he was going to get stopped. Do you think this has the potential to go all five or maybe inside that four and a half? So the models are actually telling us to go the under here, um, which is surprising. You know, the first fight, I think it was very evenly matched. It was the pace of Sterling, but he wasn't getting the fight down. And that's why the the tide was turning. Um, But we do see value in it's probably going to be plus money for a finish. Um, You might not get plus money at the under. But my lean is to take those unders or inside the distance as a small play. Okay. I know that I think out of the three fights here, the last three fights that I, the non-title bout might be the one where I'm seeing some variance here in Gilbert Burns right now. And I feel like he's taking a little bit of the money here against uh, Kamzat Chemaev here. Chemaev is the revelation of 2020 uh, of, you know, kind of fighting overseas, uh, fight island, if you will, really burst on the scene here at 170 pounds. The guy's barely been touched in his UFC career. What do we make of this matchup here? Did the model show? Do you have enough info on Shemaev? Because he's just not in there very long to give you an accurate uh, depiction of what we might see tonight in Jacksonville. Yeah, it, it's both things are accurate here, right? Like we we have enough data, but it's not great because it's very <laughs> limited. Those four fights is definitely enough to make a make an impression in usual situations because you have three round fights and a few of those will go the distance. Um, So that adds up to a lot of minutes of fight time. He just doesn't have a lot of minutes. 13 minutes is not a lot of time. Um, You know, the one distance strike he landed resulted in a knockdown. So his knockdown rate for me is a hundred percent, which is obscene, uh, but it also doesn't make sense for someone with four fights. Um, And in return, as you said, he's barely been touched. He, He one jab landed on him one significant strike over four fights. Again, that just does not make sense. You don't see this. So while I am running the usual process of examining the statistics and factoring in the odds, and it's telling me, hey, Shemaev looks like a great bet, very high probability of victory. Um, I do have some nervousness going into the night because this is a small sample size. And when you make a data-driven decision, that's your killer right there. That's the kryptonite for any model. 
is either erroneous data or just not enough data. Um, so I would urge some caution. I do think there's a lot of finishing potential. Both these guys clearly have the skills to finish fights. Uh, and so if they go toe to toe, I, I would put that as maybe a better value play. You're going to get a better line. It's, it's still juiced for the under, but that's probably where the value is. Or you just go all in on Chemayev and say Chemayev inside the distance. Uh, so that way you're not laying such a huge price. Got a couple minutes to go here with Reed Coot. Follow him as I do at Fightnomics on Twitter. I, I want to get to Mackenzie Dern against the uh, tiny tornado here in Tisha Torres. And this fight feels like it could go either way. Very close uh, priced fight. What do you make of Mackenzie with the BJJ against the wrestler striker in Torres? Yeah, styles make fights, right? Um, so Mackenzie Dern is one of the best grapplers in the game right now in the women's divisions. And so you know where she wants this um, and she's not going to waste a lot of time to get there. So the question is really, does Tisha Torres keep this off the ground? Uh, she's going to be pretty significantly outsized. Dern's going to be the bigger fighter. She's probably going to have a strength advantage, um, but she's going to want this on the ground. And I'm looking at the takedown defense of Tisha Torres at 58%. That's like basically average or slightly below average. Um, and having below average or average takedown defense against someone like Mackenzie Dern it's probably going to hit the ground at some point. And then she's going to have a massive advantage. And Mackenzie Dern looks like she's really been evolving her game since she first started in MMA. She's making that transition from being a pure jujitsu player into an MMA grappler. And she's finishing a lot of fights. Um, so I see that's the way this is going for me. I loved the value on Dern as, at plus money, which it was for a time. Mm -hmm. And now she's you know, the favorite. I think there's still a little bit of value there. Uh, but I like Dern here. Uh, I'm right there with you. Only about 30 seconds to go. Read any other fight on this card that your models really like uh, in one particular fight? Uh, yeah, Mark Madsen, Olympic wrestler from Dan Denmark. Um, again, same story. He's facing a guy who has historically done very well. Great record, a lot of wins in Vince Bichel, uh, but not great takedown defense. And that, in fact, in this case, his takedown defense is even worse than with Tisha Torres. So if you're going to have bad takedown defense against a world-class wrestler, an Olympic-caliber wrestler, that's a bad combination. So I think Madsen gets this to the ground. He's going to own it down there. Um, I'm not sure about a submission, but certainly he's going to be winning on the scorecards. Great stuff, as always, Reed Kuhn. Really appreciate it. Enjoy the fights tonight, UFC 273. And again, listen on First Strike. Back in a moment on... This is Betting Across America on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network. BetMGM, the king of sportsbooks, unleashes the spirit of Las Vegas with BetMGM Rewards. Every time you make a wager at BetMGM, you can earn BetMGM Rewards points that you can redeem for online bonus credits like free bets and risk-free tokens. Planning a trip to Vegas, well, you can convert your BetMGM points into MGM Rewards points that you can use towards dining shows, hotel rooms, and over 20 MGM resort properties located on the Las Vegas trip and nationwide. BetMGM Rewards is Sports Betting's premier loyalty program featuring exclusive offers, incredible experiences, and valuable perks when you wager on the BetMGM app. Sign up with BetMGM or log on today to get an even bigger piece of the action with BetMGM Rewards. Eligibility restrictions to apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Dave Ross alongside Amal Shaw. This is Betting Across America. We had Brady Cannon just come on in. He's going to take over at the top of the hour. When I see Brady, I think golf. And you look up, Scotty Scheffler just made a four on number 12, the par three. But as we talked about earlier in the show, a good bogey. Like, if yeah. you're going to make a mistake, Scotty Scheffler got out of position, put it in the bunker. 
and he kind of limited his mistakes and uh, couldn't get up and down, but he makes a four, still at 10 under par, and still has a four-shot lead. But now we're starting to get in that range where I wonder them all, and Brady was asking the question to us during the break, I wonder how close it would have to be by the end of the day that maybe overnight you go, you know what? Maybe some other golfers are now in play. Cam Smith, by the way, is at six under par, four back. Charles Schwartz is at five under par, five back. This is going to be interesting, as you alluded to. Um, I, you know, these next six holes, having completed through 12, how he finishes out will really determine. Two par fives. Yeah. And, you know, again, you know, Ray's Creek is there on 13. Ray's Creek is again on, on 15. We're never rooting for anybody to put it in the water. Yeah. Wink. Because some people <laughs> are going to root for that, especially if they have tickets on the other guys. But to, that's where you'll find out if Scotty Scheffler can go ahead and navigate uh, the rest of this after making that bogey on 12. Let's see our response in the par five uh, right now as they get ready to tee off on 13. You know, I was going to say, the one thing with Scheffler is I think he's a little bit of an unproven commodity because he's younger. Mm -hmm. But if this were Tiger with a four-shot lead, I mean, everyone's like, well, you know, um, who's going to finish in second? That's right. You know, it's just amazing right now. I, I think based on what he's been able to accomplish, I, I feel like he deserves a little bit more respect than he's getting. I think you're right. I think he'll get that respect if he can hold on and get this green jacket. And and again, right now, I would not advise betting against him. But let's see how he navigates, to your point, the final uh, six holes of the day here and see how he navigates that as he comes in uh, with a lead. We do believe that he's going to have the lead by the end of the day. Uh, we just had a great conversation with Reed Kuhn. Uh, again, a really good job with his models. I did want to give you my best bets for UFC 273 tonight. And some of them, you'll see where I'm going with some of these plays. And the first one I wanted to talk about was Chimaev because Reed's models, he just pointed out why there might be a little bit of danger in a guy that has not had a lot of octagon time. Nobody runs through Gilbert Burns, in my estimation. Remember, it's just a three-round fight. But I have played the over here one-and-a-half rounds because I don't think Gilbert's going to go out and try to bang and try to get a stoppage. I think what he's going to do is see if he can wrestle a little bit. And I know you go, well, you don't want to wrestle with Chimaev. Well, Burns can do that, and he's also a great BJJ practitioner. I think the over one and a half is the right play there. This is my respect level for Gilbert Burns, that he's going to push Chimaev further and farther than we've seen in his young UFC career. So that is one of my very best plays. He mentioned Mackenzie Dern. That's another one of my favorite plays of the day. I'm right there with Reed and his models, and I'm glad that they kind of aligned with what I'm thinking against Tisha Torres here, the Tiny Tornado. I've already played McKenzie at minus $1.20. Again, you could have gotten that about even uh, throughout the week. She's been bet up a little bit. I still think there's value there at $1.20. So I've played McKenzie Dern. We mentioned the finishing potential in the Volkanovski and uh, Korean zombie fight. I have played the under at plus money, good plus money. You can't get the same number I got at a plus $1.30. About a plus $1.10, plus a $105 i am seeing there. Because I think the zombie realizes I can't win all five rounds, but I might go for broke. And if you do do that, sometimes you come up broke. So I think we're going to get a finish in that one inside of four and a half rounds. And Aspen Ladd, she is a bit of an enigma. But Raquel Pennington's taking this fight on short notice. And as much respect as I've, I have for Rocky Pennington here, I'm going to play Aspen Ladd in the potential card here at plus $1.50. Her... her Camp, her corner, they've been as hard on any fighter as I've ever heard. I think sometimes that plays to a detriment to Aspen Land. Let's see if she finally realizes that potential against an older fighter in Rocky Pennington who's tough as nails. It's not going to be an easy out. 
But I think Aspen Ladd's skill set should translate to an upset victory. So I'll take Ladd at plus money. Those are my four best bets of the night. I like it. Let's hope they all come to fruition here. What time does this card kick off? Uh, it's actually beginning. The undercard's getting ready to start here at, at the top of the hour. We'll get to the main card here after I can kind of exhale from the Masters and then really switch my focus over uh, to this card. Should be a really good fight card. Again, Major League Baseball, I will play the Metropolitans tonight. Uh, they're laying a dollar forty right now against the Nationals. This is more of a Chris Bassett was an all-star in Oakland. Let's see what he is going to be in New York. Obviously, they had him slated as the number three with Jacob DeGrom now on the shelf for a while. Mad Max is going to be the ace. Let's see if Bassett now kind of slides into that role. I think he's a. I think he could still be a 1A, if not a solid 2 on just about any uh, major league pitching rotation. I think he's very solid. We'll see what happens with him and how this team continues to fare offensively. Great start by the Mets, scoring 12 runs in the first two games. Uh, these are the types of games they've got to get because when you play Philadelphia and you play Atlanta, those are games you're, you know, the series you're probably hoping to split, maybe win, you know, six out of uh, 10 in those scenarios. So if you can do well in these, I think it would bode well for the Mets going forward. Yeah, I think you're right. Again, they count the same in April as they do in September. So what I'm, as a Metropolitan fan, and again, I did not play the season total of 88 and a half wins, but I think that's the way you kind of have to handicap. And some of these will get repriced as we go along the baseball season. And let's see where the Metropolitans are, because if they get off to this good start without Jacob DeGrom, you know, we talk about acquisitions at the All-Star break. Well, that's like potentially the best acquisition of all for the second half, the best pitcher in baseball in Jacob DeGrom. Now, I don't know if he's going to be the same guy. He was almost Amal, a half run better than the best pitchers of the game a year ago until he got hurt again. And that's always the concern with an aging pitcher in Scherzer and a guy with the history problems that Jacob Grom has. But if he can come back, and if the Mets can be patient, if they can use the Bassets and the McGills and the other guys now to kind of stem stem it and just kind of make those those ends meet in the middle once you get to Grom back, it's almost like hold the line. I wouldn't even think about Jacob Grom if I'm the Mets front office until you get to the All-Star break. That should give him plenty of time. If you're still in the fight at that point, bringing him back, that's the best trade deadline acquisition or second half acquisition you could make. Yeah, I think it's a great point you make. Look at it this way. If let's just say for simple math, it was 81 games you've already played. In essence, he would be potentially getting 17 starts. If you were to go with DeGrom starting 12 and 5, and without him, if you were to go 9 and 8, mm. you still feel pretty good and rather have a healthier DeGrom who could really help you in the postseason because. To me, Scherzer, as good as he is, I don't know if he's the same guy he once was. That's my long-term concern with him. Don't even get what the Mets signed him to a three-year deal. Mm -hmm. Should have been a one-year deal, in my opinion, but we'll see how Max is able to perform. But if you get a healthy DeGrom in the postseason, it's a difference maker because he can be the best pitcher and play like the best pitcher in baseball. Yeah, I totally agree there. Are there any other things in Major League Baseball, Mall, very quickly, just in the first couple of days, that you think could be trendy and, and profitable trends that you've seen? Is there anything that's caught your eye? Yeah, I think betting overs in-game after starters have performed well, these bullpens still can't close the door. Boy. It, it's really unbelievable. Tonight, or today, this afternoon, rather, Minnesota with a 3-2 lead going into the ninth inning against Seattle. Seattle scores twice on three hits against the Twinkies, wins that game. Uh, I, I think there's just too many teams blowing leads. You know, these pitchers throw extremely hard, Dave. The problem is when contact is made, these balls have in-flight movies on them. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. These things are crushed. Well, you can talk to any uh, former major leaguer and Josh Towers here on our network, certainly, and they'll say if, if your ball is 104 and it's straight, it's hittable. Exactly. If it's 98 with movement, it's yeah. probably unhittable. So 
you're right. A lot of these guys got to figure out, even though you got velocity, do you have movement? Yeah. And if you don't have movement and the, these guys are going to sit dead red in those fastballs and then uh, take them for a ride, we are seeing that a little bit early and often. Very quickly, we mentioned that, that Scotty Scheffler is now playing the first of the two part fives in the back nine. He just laid up on 13. So, you know, he should have a, a potential for an up and down here, but that's not a gimme birdie here for Scheffler as he starts to make his way through Race Creek. And again, Brady's going to do a great job of this in the next couple hours, uh, kind of detailing this. This doesn't feel over. It felt over about an hour ago, but now with only a four-shot lead, if he hangs right around 10 by the end of the day, tomorrow, buckle up, kids. It's going to be green like go. Augusta National will be very gettable, and some of the best players in the world are going to take dead aim at trying to shoot 64 65s. It's easier said than done, that's for sure. But there will be pressure on Scotty Scheffler he's never felt before. I'm going to tell you right now, these next six holes to me are this tournament. If he doesn't perform well, and if he has like he did on the 12th hole where he bogeys, he's got another bogey or maybe even a second one in there, it could be a problem. Very interesting. A lot of fun the last three hours. Absolutely. As always, Reed Kuhn, want to thank him for joining us. Rex Hoggard and uh, Mike Peranio for joining us here this afternoon betting across America. Don't go anywhere. we got you covered all afternoon long. It is the, the Sports Betting Network. 